Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today we're going to talk about John Carter. Yes. Of Mars. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do your admin. Admin. <laughs> uh, we have a new Twitter home, at the Story Toolkit, so get in touch through that. We have mm. the website... Uh, as well, the storytoolkit.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. Please get in touch with any questions or any shows or TV, sorry, TV shows or films you want us to get uh, yep. into, or any questions you have about yeah. writing principles or anything. Um, and they have it there. Boom. Done. So lean. Lean. Okay. So John Carter, uh, for those of you who don't know, John Carter is an amazing film that came out in 2012. Point of order. Yes. (laughs) I wanted to address this up top. Uh, Wasn't received wholeheartedly well. Lies. (laughs) Uh, It was received very well. By the by 10 you. people who saw it. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, anyone who saw the film loved it. People didn't go to the cinema. To Point see of it. order. <sighs> yes. <laughs> no, I just remember hearing... Um, it was Mark Commode, actually, and... Um, I can't remember who does his show uh, on Radio Mayo, Simon Mayo. Thank you. Um, they were not all that keen. That's because... Um, okay, so the writer and director of John Carter is Andrew Stanton. Yes. Andrew Stanton is the wonderful... He's just amazing. He's done Finding Nemo and Finding Dory and wow. And all those great, great films for Pixar. And he went off to do John Carter as his first live action thing. And Simon Mayo and Mark Commode had an interview with him before they'd seen the film or whatever. And... They asked. They had a. They were upset that it wasn't called John Carter of Mars. They were upset with the whole um, Disney. Disney had just had a film flop called Ma, Ma, uh, Mars Needs Mums. Right. So they didn't want Mars in the title. Like it was. No, a I, thing. I haven't heard the interview you were uh, you're talking about. Is "upset" the right word? I just want to be clear on yeah, that. Yeah, they were irked. Like, oh, what, you don't think people... Like, Mark Commode has this thing. Like, he loves his 70s sci-fi. He loves his silent running and all that stuff. And he was upset that they had diminished the sci-fi aspect on the marketing. And he's and Andrew Stanton's like, it, the word Mars, people won't, didn't want to go see a film with Mars in the title. So we had to drop it. And, but, and that's it. He gave him a simple answer. Plus, Mark Commode is always on about the art of things. And he wants blockbusters that are artistic and art, art, art. And people shouldn't care about the money. Then proceeded to ask John uh, Andrew Stanton questions only about what's it like to have a film that costs $250 million and all that stuff. And Andrew Stanton, after like this, que- nothing but questions about the marketing of the name of it and the amount it cost, said, "I don't care about this stuff." He got annoyed and said, "I've had it. I, I don't care about this stuff. It doesn't matter. I've never made a small budget film, so all my films are big budget. I don't care." And this, of course, upset Mark Commode and Simon Mayo. So the next time they talked about John Carter, they bashed it because it's easy. And they, and by the way, their bashing was not the film. They bashed Andrew Stanton. They were like, yeah, he doesn't care about this, doesn't care about that. I'm like, yeah, all you did was... Uh, so anyway, <laughs> anyway, supposed to quell my rant. My rant no, right? I, 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 I thought so, that was within the, the, no, the so, boundaries. No, so Mark Commode, that's when I stopped watching Mark Commode because I'm just like, oh, that's just ridiculous. Well, actually, okay. Because um, Hold yes. on, but I mean, we're, enough, enough on that. Um, it was more critics um, in general. No, critics in general. His, so I, I tracked this whole thing as it was happening <laughs> because I really, I really respect Andrew Stanton. He's an amazing director and he's an amazing writer, and it just, it just drove me crazy because he was, he was retweeting people's fan trailers for the film. That's how bad the marketing for John Carter was. Really? Yeah. That's he was working so hard. Disney did things that are unprecedented. They released press releases saying the film was a terrible flop before it came out, and on the weekend of its release, Disney Disney said it was terrible. This doesn't happen. So Disney did everything they could. If you just look, Disney turned all the marketing over to a they this film cost 250 million they spent a pittance on the marketing and gave it to a bunch of rookies 
Was there? Right? There was a politics issue with John Carter, wasn't there? I'm not. Look, <laughs> I. If you go on my Tumblr blog, I wrote a thing called "I Dream of Mars," where I go through okay. all this stuff. Okay. Okay. In which case, let's. let's we don't have stop to go through. It, but let's, fundamentally, let's the on. the thing is, Andrew Stanton was said the guy they ha- Disney wanted to do the John Carter film. And the guy brought in Andrew Stanton and said, look, you want to do John Carter. You're this amazing Oscar-winning writer-director. How about you do it? And he goes, great. Goes off, comes back and goes, I need $250 million to do it right. And he goes, oh, how come? And so, because, and here's where Andrew Stanton's amazing, in Pixar, when they do their films, they animate them. They And then they go, that didn't work, that does work. And then they reanimate it. And then they re-record voices and they rewrite it as they do it. This is traditional how you do make a story. Yeah. So he wanted to do that on film, which means we're going to film a bunch, edit the film, see what doesn't work, go back and reshoot scenes, go back and re- so he planned to do three reshoots. Okay? So part of it and you look at the film it's amazing all the money's on the screen. Yeah. Okay? So he didn't go over budget. But the story became in Hollywood, if you do reshoots, you've gone over budget and you've made a mistake. Oh, I see. So everyone started thinking John Carter's made mistakes. And I was like, no, it hasn't made mistakes. What you've got is an actual director doing actual work. Stop it. So I got really frustrated as I watched. Uh, and you see, people go like, well, it, it's a flop. Because no, it's like, well, no, if no one went to see it, how do you know if it's a flop or not? Like, how do you know if it's bad or good? People go to see crap all the time, Right. Like, you get these crap films, like Michael Bay's films. They get huge numbers. But no one comes like, wow, what a great film. They come out laughing at it because it's awful. Even Michael Bay hates his own films. But they somehow make money because he sold his soul to the devil or whatever it is. (laughs) Okay? But John Carter, people didn't go to see it. But the people who did see it really liked it. And critics felt they had to talk about the, the budget. Sure. And that's it. And it's like, whatever. I've had enough. Yeah. So forget this. All right. That segue was entirely my fault. I yes. my hand up. But um, yes. we'll, we'll link that blog. Yeah, we'll, it link worth blog, yes. we'll link the blog. We'll link the blog. Because John Carter is really good. Now, there are... There's two major problems with the film. Uh, one... Uh, I'll talk about in a minute. But the one quickly... The other major problem is nothing to do with Andrew Stanton. Nothing to do with the film itself. The problem is... Edgar Rice Burroughs pretty much invented science fiction. Okay. Uh, he wrote it in 1912. This film came out 100 years later. And in that time, everything he came up with was ripped off. So the planet looks like Tatooine and Dune. Yeah. Um, the, um, uh, the the whole concept of Dejah Thoris, all these things, the Princess of Mars, Princess Leia, sci-fi, Flash Gordon. Like, Star Wars is a rip-off of Flash Gordon, which is a rip-off of John Carter. Sure. Right? So... Everyone has taken stuff from it. People say, like, Superman is based on John Carter, right? Because John Carter is a guy who goes to another planet and suddenly can jump really high and is super strong. Yeah. And, like, Superman's just the reverse. Remember, he couldn't fly at first. He jumped. Yeah. Right? So there's all kinds of things. Like everyone's ripped off. What wasn't ripped off? The Tharks. These big, huge alien things. What came out two years before John Carter? Avatar. <laughs> so the one thing that stopped John Carter from being made into a film was the Tharks. And by the time technology caught up where they could do the Tharks, James Cameron beat them to the punch with Avatar by ripping it off first. So everything in the film feels a little derivative because everyone has derived from it. Yeah. That has nothing to do with Stanton. That has nothing to do with the quality of the film. It's just the nature of how it played out. But the film is brilliant. And I'm going to explain why it's brilliant. Because it's brilliant <laughs> and I love it. It's, it's a really good film. Um I have a feeling I'm not going to need to get too involved in this. Yeah, one. you are, because you loved it too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone sure. loves Woola and Turbo Dog. <laughs> Everyone loves him. I feel my contribution will just occasionally be going, Woo! Yeah! That'll do. In the background. That'll do. So, John Carter, uh, for those of you who don't know what the, the plot is, it's set in the late 1800s, early 1900s, I think. Uh, before the First World War, anyway. Um, uh, I think it's just after the Civil War, or... During the Civil War, American Civil War. I was trying to remember what. Um, uh, I, I don't know the dates. He was, uh, which army they were trying to recruit him to at the beginning? Yeah, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston is trying to recruit him. Yeah, at the beginning, Brian Cranston. Heisenberg's in this film. How is it bad? <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, he uh, accidentally gets teleported to Mars. 
John Carter. He wakes up on Mars, and on Mars, he's because the gravity's lower, he's able to jump really far. He's a lot stronger and everything. And um, he gets embroiled in the politics, the war politics of Mars, which is called Basum. That's what they call the planet of Mars. So he gets embroiled in that, and then eventually he decides to fight for uh, the princess uh, Deja Thoris, who he falls in love with, against the evil therns. Uh, you have these two human race, uh, two human cities on on um, Mars. You've got Helium and Zadonga, and he decides to fight for Helium and Dejah Thoris against Sab Than and Zadonga, and they are being manipulated by these other aliens called the Therns. And then there's the Tharks that are in between, and he gets the Tharks, and so he ends up sort of rallying everyone together, and uh, which is essentially Dune, by the way, um, and it's it's really cool. Uh, it's a really nice thing. It's done very well. So, but it has a very unusual structure um, that could have, I think it was risky and I think it was worth the risk, but it was, it's a risky structure. And that is, it's a two hour film. The inciting incident doesn't happen until an hour and 20 minutes into the film. Right? It's a two hour film. The signing instant doesn't happen until an hour and 20 minutes into the film. Normally, the signing instant is supposed to be in the first quarter. I was going to say, the, the normal time frame is within the first half an hour for a two-hour yeah. movie, right? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's that's it. That's, <laughs> your, that's normally that. So this goes on for a long time. And when you don't have an signing instant, you don't have a spine of action. And the audience can't tell what's going on. And it can become very hard for audiences to follow what they're supposed to be following. And have empathy with the characters. And it's so it's really, really risky thing to do. And in John Carter, the inciting incident is John Carter decides to fight for helium. So the inciting incident begins 40 minutes into the film. It doesn't actually... It, there's no inciting incident. 40 minutes into the film. His, the inciting incident of the film is him not waking up on Mars. That doesn't generate a spine of action. And we've we've had conversations about this because yeah. of um, my feeling where um, your initial instinct is to say, okay, inciting incident, he wakes up on Mars. That, yeah, that seems to be the big I, thing that I, throws his. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what Stanton thought. And that's what I was going to bring up because yeah. we have had this conversation before, it's and, you, and you think, it, yeah, this is how. I mean, it's perfectly logical that you would think about the movie yeah. in that way. Yeah, but you are you're arguing that it's slightly different. I, 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 that's not the inciting instant. The uh, why, why is that not the inciting okay, instant? Okay, so this. what's the film about? What's the question in the film? It's an action story. Will he stop Matai Shang, which is the big villain, the Thern? Will yeah. he stop Matai Shang and save Helium? That's the question. When he wakes up on Mars, that's not a question. You know that's where the story's going, but it's not there yet. Yeah, you wouldn't. I mean, you know, you he's on, he's on Mars, but he hasn't got involved in that story yet any more than he was when he was in prison. It hasn't changed his life. He's just on Mars. That's it. So what? Nothing's changed yet. Not really. He's just on Mars. Then he meets this person and he meets that person and so on. And it's great. It's really interesting. It's exciting. It's lots of fun. It's fun. Yeah. But it hasn't started yet. And then 40 minutes into the film, he meets Dejah Thoris. And gets... and Because there's a big fight. Uh, the Zodongans attack, attack a helium ship that has Dejah Thoris on it. And during this, we get... We, it cuts from John Carter to Dejah Thoris. So we know this film is about those two. Because the, the great thing about this film is the MacGuffin is Dejah Thoris. She's actually the MacGuffin. Because she's really smart. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. She's a, she's a, she's a genius, so she has the power to change the course of helium and uh, Barsoom. So we know the film is about him, not so much rescuing her, but helping her. That the two of them working together to save Barsoom. That's what the story is about. So we know the story doesn't start until they meet. So they meet, but he doesn't do anything. <laughs> he refuses to get involved. Yeah. So his life still hasn't changed. So he's not on the spine of action to stop Matai Shang. He's not doing that yet. Instead, he's got a subplot, which is um, his education story. Because he he, his life is meaningless. All he wants is gold. He doesn't care about anything else. 
So the story, his his own uh, depression and nihilism is what's stopping him from getting involved into the story. And so it delays and delays and delays. So the inciting incident takes, uh, what, 40 minutes to play out. They meet 40 minutes into the film. He doesn't decide to fight until an hour and 20 minutes into the film. It's a 40 minute inciting incident. This isn't what you call like a two-part inciting incident. This you, could, is just... you could say it's a two-part incident. They meet, he chooses to fight. Yeah. In the same way that a crime is committed, the crime is discovered. That's what I was right? thinking. You yeah. could say it that way. Yeah. If you want, you could say it's a three-part one. He arrives on Mars, they meet, he chooses to fight. If you want to do it that okay, way. I'm but him arriving on Mars, to me, is not really part of the inciting incident in that sense. You don't feel a, a change of location? No, it's is, just a change of location. Yeah, it could be. I mean, so it, it's not. It's not something that feels like the inciting incident. Him being on Mars is pretty much him in the same situation that he was on Earth, in a state of war and refusing to fight. Yeah, and just uh, yeah, because what, what happens on Earth? He gets asked to fight into an ar- a fight for, for an army. He refuses. He shows up on Barsoom. Fight for us. He won't fight. It's the right. same thing. Yeah. So he's just a prisoner in both cases. So it's it's uh, I say it's the same thing. Obviously, there's variance. It's not <laughs> it's not repetitive. But what I mean is, it's not doesn't have that impact of an inciting incident. So, however, that said, that said, um, it, the reason I also say it's in two parts is because when he meets Dejah Thoris, it's a major reversal. So the Act One climax is when he meets her, and then the Act Two climax is when he chooses to fight for her. Whoa. Yeah. Pause. Okay. Okay. Act one climax of a subplot or the main plot? Of the, of the central plot. The central plot. You're saying that that the, yeah. you get a major reversal yeah. of the central plot yeah. before the inciting incident. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm becoming more and more skeptical. Not, not before the inciting incident. At the start of the inciting oh, incident. Oh, at the start of the inciting yeah. incident. Yeah. Sure. The, the start of the inciting incident is the first act climax. And the, climax, the end of the inciting incident is the second act climax. That's what can happen when you so draw... This happens in television shows all the time. When you have a huge inciting incident like that, the inciting incident is the event that changes the, the balance of the protagonist's yeah, life and puts them yeah, on the yeah, spine yeah. of action. It doesn't state the size of that turn or how many turns are in it. That's not the same thing. Yeah. So most of the time the inciting incident happens and then the story starts but other times if the inciting incident is particularly large enough and it has enough scenes within it it itself will build major reversals inside itself right so (laughs) this this is why i keep telling people if you want to learn get films and break them down scene by scene and you will discover all kinds of designs McKee understands this. This is why it drives me crazy when people say, oh, it's too formulaic. It's it's not formulaic. It's a basic structural form. You just don't know any examples other than the basic ones he gave you. Because if he gave you more, your head would explode. And you can't... Half the time they complain, oh, it's too formulaic. And the other half of the time they complain, there's too much going on. It's like, well, which one is it? So... Yeah, you can't start with explaining John Carter because it blows people's minds. They only just understood the concept of the inciting incident. You see what I mean? So it's not... For, the inciting incident in this case is 40 minutes long and two acts. It's two major reversals. Okay? And so... Uh, so in that sense, I mean, you've got two acts over the course of one hour and 20 minutes. That itself isn't such a problem. That, that's, no, that's, that's but fine. But the first act happens 40 minutes into the film. That's usual. So... It has, but the inciting incident is huge, and with that, it can seem really sprawling, and that can be a real problem. But that's the inciting incident. He chooses to fight for helium, and that requires some setup. I why it matters that he chose to fight, uh, who he is, who helium is, etc. You have to. There's yeah. expositions. There's lots of things that need to be set up anyway before that inciting incident means anything. I mean, harking back to the the uh, the Star Wars podcast we did. Yeah. Um, it requires a lot of world building. Yeah, uh, but the thing is, sometimes I mean, part of it. Sometimes but... inciting incidents, you know, they're very clear. You don't need to set it up. Man yeah. gets arrested for the frame for the wife of his murder, the fugitive. Bam, inciting his murder straight away. Yeah. yeah, bam, straight away. Boom, boom, boom. We get that. Yeah. But this one, no, we need to understand the politics of this world. We need to understand who John Carter is. We need to understand all these things. So they have to set that up. 
So they can't just start with the inciting incident. But how do you not make that boring? Well, one of the ways you don't make it boring is you turn the inciting incident to two major reversals to keep the audience interested because there's stuff happening. Plus, what did I say? The inciting incident is also the crisis decision, whether or not to fight. The hero's dilemma in the action story is self versus others. Altruism, right? So in this, they really built up his selfish part. Throughout the whole film, he keeps saying, I just want my gold. I just want my gold. I just want my gold. So at the end, when he's finally, he gets that choice, fight for Dejah Thoris or go home, and he picks to fight, that's a real crisis decision. I think that's worth pausing on. Self versus others, and that, that's the crisis yeah. decision for yeah. all action movies. Yes and no. <laughs> it's the crisis decision of the genre, but not, as I said, genres aren't stories. Of course, yeah, yeah. Stories okay. use genre. So sometimes you might have an action story that, that doesn't really matter. Uh, other times it is there, but it's not a huge decision. Like the crisis doesn't have to be... In this case, the crisis is the second act, climax, and the climax of the inciting instance. So yeah. it carries a lot of weight. But in Die Hard, the crisis decision is a beat. It's one simple choice, which is... Yeah. Uh, uh, John McClane has the choice. He can either go into the room with Hans and uh, his henchman Eddie and a Holly with the gun duct tape to his back, or he can let them get away and hope he can get Holly another day. He risks his life to save Holly at yeah. the end there. He doesn't have to. He can let Hans get away with it and hope he get, lets his wife go. He, ha he has a choice there, but it's not a huge choice. It's just one quick thing. It's yeah. like, I'm going to take the gamble, right? Yeah. So it's, but that is that same choice. It's just very, very, very small. But in John Carter, it's a huge choice. In Wreck-It Ralph, there's that choice as well. And it's a huge choice. So, and sometimes the, if the action is merged with something, like in Wreck-It Ralph, it's merged with a redemption story, then the crisis takes on elements of that as well. Sure. So it's not. It's but not. That, that's what happens in John Carter because it takes on the part of the education story. Edu education yeah, story, he, has, sure. he chooses a meaningful but hard life versus an easy but meaningless life. Yeah. Right. So. But that's how much weight this carries. Now, as I said, it's a risky thing to do this. And I pointed out why they need all this set up. Because there's so much that needs setting up and so on. But here's the brilliant thing. This is why I think this film is so beautiful and people really should respect it. It's because once the, he makes the crisis decision and Act 2 happens and they've set everything up... John Carter has one of the most incredible roller coaster endings I've ever seen anywhere because it is a six act story and the last four acts happen in the last 20 minutes. 30 minutes, beg your pardon. Right? Yeah. That's a major reversal. A major reversal, what, every uh, five minutes? Five minutes? Yeah. Something like that, every, every, uh, every seven minutes, something like that. A major reversal? Like the. If you think, uh, here's how the ending of this story works, okay? Here's how it works. So he makes the decision, I'm going to fight for Dejah Thoris. And then, Act 3 Climax, uh, he, uh, if I'm right, so at, at the end of Act 2, when he decides to fight uh, for Dejah Thoris, he's captured. Yeah. Act 2 Climax, boom. He's fighting for her, but he's captured. Then, Act 3 Climax, he, <laughs> he, he fights the white apes, right? Then the Act 4 Climax is he crashes the wedding, and saves them. Then the Act 5 climax is he gets sent back to Earth. And that's the mercy scene. And the mercy scene lasts five minutes. And then he goes back to Basum. That's incredible. What a great like series of turns, right? He goes from prisoner to... Uh, he goes from a prisoner in Zodonga to the warlord of the Tharks, right? To the savior of, of Basum. To the, the loner cast out about to die on Earth. To back to Barsoom again as the as the warlord of Mars, as John Carter of Mars. And they even, by the way, Stanton even used the title brilliantly. By calling it John Carter at the beginning and dropping off the of Mars, it really raised the question for someone like myself who didn't know anything about the original books. Um, is What's he going to choose? Mars or Earth? So at the end, when he goes John Carter of Mars, you go, yeah, Mars is his home. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was great. But that is, this is, I mean, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And the reason they can do that is because they've set everything up. There is a great moment where they crash the wedding and they go to uh, Zodonga 
and they he John Carter has killed the white apes he's killed Tars Tarkas which is the evil Thark he's taken over all the Tharks he's now in charge he's the warlord and he leads them on a daring attack on Zodonga and they crash into Zodonga to stop the wedding and no one is there and they're like where is everyone it's like they're at the wedding where's the wedding helium and then the the lead Thark just smacks John Carter around the head <laughs> and he gets this huge laugh, right? And then the only way he can get to Helium on time is by flying and the Tharks hate flying. So he flies on his own and they follow after him. But that, you couldn't get that gag unless you knew Sodonga and Helium are two separate places and you knew how far away they are from each other. Yeah. So the the if you if you watch, like the first one hour and 20 minutes says, guys... There's a lot of setup coming. We're going to make it fun. There's all these cool things that we're doing on Mars, but we're setting up a lot of things because the last 30 minutes, there's not going to be any exposition. There's not going to be any setup. It's just going to, we're going to do nothing but pay everything off. And we're going to give you a roller coaster of an ending that you would never have seen coming. Those, it's a six act story. It's a six act story. And f- and four of them happen in the last 30 minutes. That's crazy. I've never seen a design like that. And it's really risky when you do something like that. But I think it was worth it. Because that way, you got to enjoy Barsoom at the climax. Rather than sitting there trying to work things out. It, could, it allowed to have this incredible pace at the end. Um, okay, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Yes. And by the way, I totally agree. I yeah. love the movie. It's great. It's fantastic. I, I, before but, we talk about those things, I want yeah. to say one last thing. Which is this concept of a three-act structure. <laughs> Go right. on then. People talk about oh, how do we fit three extract in this? I'm saying this is six acts. First of all, what is an act? The concept of a three act structure, this thing, is nonsense. Why? It's Sidfield and whatever, and they're all going like, yeah, a three act structure, get your guy up a tree, throw rocks at him, get him down the tree. What does that even mean? It means nothing. Oh, you have to have a beginning, middle, and end. Who who doesn't know a story has to have a beginning, middle, and end? That doesn't make any sense. How does that help? Like, seriously, how does you knowing a story has to have a beginning, middle, end help you write a story? And then they have other things like act one is this, act two is rising this. No, what is an act, really? An act is a major reversal in the story's values, from positive to negative, with or without irony, intensifying, reversing, some sort of major turning point, right? You have small turning points, scenes, build into moderate turning points, sequences, build into major turning points, acts. Okay, and then the acts build into the story climax. This has six major reversals. It has six acts. The idea that you're trying to fit three acts into a story, that you look at this and go, this is a three-act structure. In what way is this a three-act structure? The, the beginning is he's not on Mars. The middle is Mars until he decides to fight them. The end is him fighting. That's That doesn't even scratch the surface of what's actually going on in the story. Importantly, as well, if you, uh, when you think, okay, three act structure, um, in terms of your own writing, that's being formulaic. Yeah, exactly. Because then you go, oh, I have to have three. Yeah. Says who? You can have one act stories, two act stories, three act stories, four act stories, five act, six act stories, seven acts, eight acts. When you get to something like Breaking Bad, it's over 200 acts. Yeah. Because five seasons. What Breaking Bad's a three act structure. Like it doesn't hold up. It only holds up if you keep if you either make it vague enough that it means nothing and you keep your sample size really small. But when you actually talk about what is the reality of a story, this concept of three acts does not hold up. It what it really is is something much more fundamental than that's the amount of major turns and John Carter has a forty minute first act a 40-minute second act, and then four more acts in the last 30 minutes. And it's a six-act structure, and it's brilliant. And the way they pull that off is by huge long setup, massive payoffs, all in one go. Um, you've actually mm. just introduced what I was going to bring up um, really well. The um, the major reversals. Yes. Um, the phrasing you used, which I think is really, really useful yes. to use in, in our own writing, is the from and to. Yes. So if you can define your character and say, at this point, my character is this, and they go from this to this, yes, and that is a big reversal, then you're looking yeah. at an act turn. I, when, when Luke and I, we were breaking uh, down Breaking Bad uh, and Fargo for the McKee TV lecture day, um, we, uh, I had Luke and I, we, what we were doing is I was constantly getting Luke to think of these things like from and to. 
And when we went through, uh, like Bob really loved the way we did From and Two. I mean, that's one of the things that he loved about that breakdown that we did. Because you go, he's from this to this and you see the turn that's why i'm saying like you know that's not the inciting instant this is the major turn yeah if you look at it he goes um from uh a prisoner on earth right yeah to the uh hopeful savior for helium that's the first act right yeah. deja thoris meets him and tries to get him involved he, be- he becomes what uh Dotar Sojat, that's what he gets called, my right hand, right? So he goes from a prisoner on Earth to Dotar Sojat, Act 1. Act 2 goes from from a man who will not fight for any cause to a man who will fight but is captured. He's a prisoner about to be executed. He goes from a prisoner to a warlord, okay, the leader of the Tharks. He goes from the leader of the Tharks to the saviour of Barsoom, Right? Then he goes from the saviour of Barsoom to alone on earth about to die. Which is the biggest negative turn negative of the story. Turn. When he gets... Think about the brilliance of this writing. He starts the film, all he wants to do is go back to earth to get his gold. And when he's finally thrown back to earth to get his gold, right? It's the worst possible thing that could happen. He gets his gold. He has it all. He spends all the gold trying to get back to Barsoom. How brilliant is that? They make they turn his original desire into his mercy scene. And by the way, it, the mercy scene is brilliantly designed because he has two sort of pseudo mercy scenes earlier in the film where he's about to get killed and who saves him? And once sent uh, uh, the Tharks save him, then Deja Thoris saves him, then Wula, the awesome super dog, saves him. Right? And none of those are they're great, but they're not satisfying as a mercy scene. Why? Well, because someone's saving him every time. So when Matai Shang shows up out of nowhere, he throws... So John Carter, to get to Mars, he has to use a talisman to get to Mars, and he throws the talisman away. Uh, he's decided he's staying on Barsoom for the rest of his life. And Matai Shang, that's when Matai Shang shows up, because he's the alien that has those talismans, and he sends him back to Earth. So he's now on Earth without the talisman, okay? And you, and you know, because the beginning of the film is a flash forward to this scene... You know he ends up dead because he has a funeral. Because the whole film is him telling the story to his nephew in his last will and testament. Okay? So you know he... One, you know he's dead. Right? You remember now. Oh, shit. He dies on Earth. Oh, no. Right? And two, you know he has no one to help him. He doesn't have his powers. He doesn't have Wula. He doesn't have Dejah Thoris. He doesn't have the Tharks. He doesn't have his superpowers or anything like that. He's got nothing. He's helpless. And so now he's at the mercy of the villain. You go, how is he going to get out of it? And then they have the brilliant way of him getting out of it. That's just like, oh, fantastic. He faked his death to lure out the aliens so that they he could get one of their talismans. Oh, that's so good. Like the funeral thing was, and it's just like, this is brilliant. Like, how is this not fantastic? So, um, yeah, it's just excellent, excellent writing. And it's built because they've set everything up so much. That you know all this stuff. You know how the politics work. You know how these characters work. You understand all this stuff so they can get things that they couldn't have got otherwise. That mercy scene, uh, I think it was uh, Chambon is the writer who came up with it. It wasn't Andrew Stanton who came up with it. I think because he had a co-writer with him. And he's the one who came up with it. And Andrew Stanton rightfully said, what a brilliant idea for, yeah. for the climax. And like, yeah, it's amazing. I, I want to, yeah. again, I want to pause on that because I... I, I I don't think he quite highlighted the brilliance enough of the <laughs> fact that... So, a true mercy scene, yes. I mean, it needs to be just that. The hero must have basically no way out. Yeah, he's helpless. Okay. Helpless. Helpless. Yeah, right? Whatever you said he's got, he has to lose. Yeah, I mean, and there are some truly awful mercy scenes, and some movies yeah. don't even bother with a, with <laughs> a mercy scene. Yeah. And so, you, it, yeah. it, it's... I mean, we mentioned it in um, the Strange podcast. Yes, we, we did, yeah. So, yeah, the mercy scene. So he needs to be properly helpless. So to have all these kind of fake mercy scenes where you have one character save him, yeah. then another character save yeah. him, then another character save yeah. him, and then when he's helpless, you realise he's helpless because he's got none he's of it. He's got none of it. I remember uh, the fir- first watching it, when when he sent back, yeah. and you realise... I just... I remember yeah. being heartbroken yeah me too you're like oh and you knew it was gonna happen yeah but we forgot because we're like this is so good it's it's it's, just like it was how does he get out of this horrible because as 
as as well because it's those kind of um you know when you have those wonderful dreams and you wake up and there's that yes. kind of sense of disappointment you're yes. like oh, and i can never go back yes right yeah it was that but yeah, times it, a million it was it's, uh, just, yeah just so well done yeah, that's why i called the blog thing i dream of mars Right, and why I get heartbroken every time Andrew Stanton tweets like, "Yeah, I had all these plans for the sequels that you're never going to see." I'm like, oh, "Why?" You know, it's just so sad. But um, at least we got one great film. Uh, but th- this is brilliant. And Batman v Superman, by the way, has a similar structure. Wow, where they have the delay, huge and signing yeah. instant, and then they finally at the end have the big reversals. It's a, it's a similar thing. There was and another... Um, I, I remember you bringing this up uh, with another movie. Um, Incredibles yes. has a similar rush of acts towards the end, doesn't it? Or a similarly large it, first It act. does, but unlike um, uh, John Carter or Batman v Superman, it has a very active set-up subplot. What I mean is, is, so. is that in The Incredibles, uh, the inciting incident isn't until you know Syndrome's behind it. Right. That's the central plot. Yeah. But before then, you've got all the domestic drama. You've got him finding the Omni droids. You've got all the action and all that stuff. So that stuff is very active. Whereas John Carter, what's the subplots in the John Carter? It's an education story. And he doesn't. Well, right. Yeah. It's internalized. It's internal. Sure. It's not an external thing. So uh, Chinatown, for example, has a, has a setup subplot, which is. Uh, an adultery case that turns into a murder mystery so you've already got a detective doing detective stuff before he becomes a detective John Carter you don't it's not like he has another villain to fight before Matai Shang he's not fighting anyone in fact he's trying very hard not to fight anyone it's like the old western. I think there's a kind of added brilliance to the fact that you can make a movie work where for the first hour and 20 minutes the the um desire of your character is to actively not do the thing that they're yes. there to do i think it's brilliant i also think in a way you could uh, in a way it's a bit of a problem because if i woke up on mars and i was super strong and deja thoris wanted me i would not want gold <laughs> if i had a pet dog you know if i had a pet dog like Wooler, i do not want to go home uh so people are going why is he why 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 don't it's like with a green lantern he gets the ring and he's complaining about the responsibility of the ring. You have a ring that makes <laughs> wishes real. Why are you complaining about this? You're not Spider-Man, you know? So John I Carter... I think my issue would be that if I looked like Taylor Kitsch, then I wouldn't complain ever. I, I do complain. What? Quite a lot. What the, oh, I see. Yeah, you need... Well, yeah, I do have... I, I, I've got that going on. As much as as much as it surprises me to be able to say that, like I've got the Taylor Kitsch thing going on. This is an audio podcast. I could claim that I look like Taylor Kitsch as well. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe not facially, but like I've been ripped. I'm cut. Don't what? And I complain all the time. So maybe that's not the reason. Maybe the reason is Deja Thoris is the reason you shouldn't complain. Wooler is what you shouldn't complain. I need Turbo Dog in my life. You need Turbo Dog and, and Beauty Princess. <laughs> I don't I don't, I don't. have a good nickname for her. Beauty Princess. It's not a good name. It's not a good name. No. It slightly uh, undermines her character. It well. does. Speaking of which, in the, in the book, she's really, like, really nothing but just an object I, did, I was I wondered whether yeah. to bring it up earlier when you she's were talking just, about her and she Deja Thoris is such an improvement in the film so in the film they make her the um, the MacGuffin yeah and it's her intelligence yeah like it's, it's her intelligence it's, that's it's her MacGuffin. brilliance whereas in the Princess of Mars it's, uh, it's, it's it's she's like property it's who gets to marry her she's a pretty lady that needs saving right yeah yeah and it's it's not great um, that part of it at all in fact it, I mean, it's, I don't think Edgar Rice Burroughs was a misogynist or anything. I just think that's just how he did it. Like, that's that's just how people thought about things, how courting rituals were and stuff. That's, I was going to say, that's how more how stories were back then. Yeah, it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ascribe uh, a maliciousness to it, is my point. Um, In fact, if you... It's not like, for example, Lovecraft wrote these really nihilistic stories, right? But outside of his stories, he was a terrible racist, Okay. It wasn't like oh he was just a part of his time. No, he was a racist. Yeah, so I mean, so there's there's. I a, didn't know that by the way. I didn't no, he Lovecraft yeah he was. was so there's there's a dif- there's a difference between people at that time weren't aware of certain things 
or weren't aware of certain... Like, we look at certain things differently to how they did. Yeah. It's not fair to then judge them as having certain motivations that they didn't have. I don't think he made Deja Thoris the way he made her because he hated women or he thought women's places are in this or that or whatever. I think it's just... That's just how he saw those things at the time and that was part of the culture and so forth. So I wouldn't ascribe things to it. Okay. In the same way that I wouldn't ascribe Herman, Herman Melville's a racist because of the way he describes Queequeg. I just don't think that's appropriate. It's... Um... Uh, were, having that kind of helpless princess was more a convention of that yeah. time. The, the writing he, he had all time. kinds of wacky conventions in it. Like John Carter's immortal in, in the book. Yeah, for some reason, just it was a convention at the time. Really? Yeah, he's immortal. It's totally. I mean, that's why it's not in the book. It's like it's just this weird device that even Burroughs dropped after a while. But it was just this thing that, like, people were immortal in fantasy stories at the time. It's just wacky stuff. So, but Deja Thoris is a vast improvement. In fact, I thought everything about this film was a vast improvement over the book. And the the best thing about the book they kept, and the best thing about the book was Burroughs' imagination, his world building. You read it, and it's so palpable, the world of Mars. He, he, He... he, he like Tolkien, those they they had this genius for crafting worlds. Just there's a reason why everyone ripped off Burroughs. There is a reason for it, and it's because you you read a Princess of Mars and Barsoom is unbelievable. It's just so well done. So you know that's why I'm, I I don't want to nitpick over how he describes Thora, Deja Thoris or whatever. I I think that's just stupid. I think that's like just wanting to be mean to him and he can't defend himself after all, you know? But when you read it and you go, the talent and insight and genius this man had to build this world is really, really rare. And it's unbelievable how well he did it. And that's the stuff they kept in the film. And the rest of the stuff, the storytelling, you have master storytellers, Andrew Stanton, Chambon and others, and you have these great actors and they elevate all of the rest. Yeah, and it's just brilliant. So, um, and John Carter is just excellent, really great. Um, and, uh, anyway, yeah. Would well, you want to? Sh- should we round up? I've got some notes just to go. Yeah, back go, to. Go, go on them. Let's surmise. Unless there's anything else you wanted to uh, drop no, in there. I don't think so. Um, I think that's everything, right? It's just. Um, I mean, okay. Let me before we go to the to the the individual points that I write down. Um, I mean, just I guess sum that up in uh, your uh, your love of John Carter or structure-wise is based on what? Oh, the the fact that the film risks risks a um, a, a, a sort of sprawling beginning in order to give you one of the best exciting climaxes to a film I've ever seen. It's just unbelievable when it comes to action. I mean, seriously, I'm trying to think of. An action film whose climax is that brilliant. Struggling. Yeah. I um, mean, there are Ghost great protocol. Ac- Ghost protocol is is excellent. In fact, we t- didn't we talk about this? There, it's no, it, <laughs> it's no surprise that two of the best action movies of the time were done by yeah. Brad Bird and Andrew Stanton. Yeah, Pixar guys. Right. Yeah. There's there's a reason. Yeah. Right. I mean, they they came, same year they came out. Wasn't yeah, it? I think or, so. Yeah, same year. Yeah. So, yeah. Ghost Protocol and John Carter are two of the finest action films. Uh, uh, the climax of John Carter, the climax of Ghost Protocol, like seriously, since then, what has come out that has anything close to that level of quality? Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Iron Man 3? That's about it. In terms of action. Batman v Superman, I think I, yeah, the I, climax, the just... Doomsday stuff is nowhere near as good as the Batman yeah. v Superman stuff, and that's not the climax. So, um, I think you're right. It's a limited list, isn't it? Yeah, the Dark Knight isn't anywhere close to this. No. In no. terms of climax. No, in terms no. of climax, it's nowhere close. The Joker's amazing, but uh, once he goes, you know, uh, you wonder how I got these guys. No, man, you got these. And he does the stupid gauntlet. By the way, that voice is really not aged. It's really, really. It's every time I I sick on bits of the Dark Knight and Batman speaks, I'm like, oh, this really doesn't work anymore. Like, oh no no no, uh, you were the best of us. It just doesn't work. But when he fires off the gloves and knocks Joker off, and then he goes and he fights Two Face. That's pretty good. But then there's a lot of lecturing and stuff. It's not. By the way, it's not bad. 
It's just compared to this kind of stuff. It's just that on the edge of your seat. Oh my! That's what's going to happen That's next. Just difference. being so excited at the end. John Carter goes protocol. Clearly, I'm, I I can't think of uh, a, a live action film that effective in the last fifteen years. Right. Like I I have to go back to something like Back to the Future. Right. And Die Hard. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a couple of really great action films that I'm forgetting that have I a really great th- climax. I don't even think that. I mean, Die Hard. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not slamming it at all. Um, it's an amazing movie, but it doesn't have that same edge of the seat at the end. I mean, I think do... I think that's because it's 30 years old and you're used to it now. Really? Yeah. Oh. I think so. I think it's. I think it's doubt. I I, uh, I I think we're so used. It's it's something we know so well. It's hard to get that same thrill from it. Um, but yeah, I think once you get past the eighty, like in the two thousands, nineties, like what yeah. comes close to these films, and it, uh, it's hard to come up with. But yeah, it's just and the reason it can have such a like Ghost Protocol's climax isn't like this. Ghost Protocol's climax uh, well, builds. That's... And builds, and there's still exposition being given, not te- not not obtrusively. It's really dramatized very very well, and so on. But it, there's still, uh, it's still building, and it's it's fantastic. But in that sense, you could argue it's just a little more conventional in that sense. But sure. that's not that's not disparagement of Ghost Protocol. Remember- there's a reason we lecture when we lecture. We screen Ghost Protocol yeah. because Ghost Protocol's unbelievably good. I and remember it's- being relieved when it finished. <laughs> Because it's just like no more, yeah. no more. It's yeah. like it pleased my heart. Can only beat so fast. Um, but John Carter, you couldn't do that um, as a, as a lecture thing because you have to explain. It's so unconventional. It's so unconventional. You'd have to keep it simple. But that climax is just those last four acts. Okay. Mean? Well, let's um, let's just talk about a few things really quickly. Um, I mean, geez, the, the, <laughs> the climax not. it has one of the best bits, which is the whole "I hear you're incredibly dangerous" scene. You remember where James Purefoy as Cantos Can walks in and um, and John Carter's been imprisoned and he goes, I hear you're incredibly dangerous. And he walks up to me and goes, take my sword. <laughs> he goes, what? Take my sword. Are you crazy? <laughs> and he pulls his sword and then puts the sword in his hand, holds it to his throat and goes, oh, he's got me hostage. Now jump. Like that. And it's just, <laughs> this is such a great prison escape. And you know it works because... You know Cantos, Cantos can is you. You know the situation. You know this. It's just great. Like, that's so good. <laughs> um, brilliant. Okay. You, know, you see, Cantos can gets him out of a situation, <laughs> and then Cantos can is gone. It's just inciting incident. Then. Yes. He's a, so I've got I've got four bullet points. Let's okay. Just go through them. Inciting incident. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what. Well, last time I told you what to, to to say, you mocked me with your answer. Um, okay, in <laughs> um, Oh yeah, just just sum up sum up what we need to know. Oh, what's possible? Oh, so the, John Carter has uh, risks um, uh, boring the audience, giving a sprawling beginning and all that stuff by having a really delayed in signing instant. But the signing instant that is the event that upsets the protagonists. Uh, value of life and puts him on the spine of action, as it were, arouses the object of desire, etc. Uh, in John Carter, it takes a huge amount of time to get to. It takes an hour and 20 minutes, but it's in two key scenes that are 40 minutes apart, and they're both major reversals, and it's also the crisis decision. So, as a result... Um, it carries a lot of weight. It's not just you're waiting for nothing and nothing's happening. Lots of stuff is happening, but it's slowly, slowly putting all the pieces in place so that when it has its climax, it can just barrel roll to the end like a juggernaut. Sure. Mm. Okay. Um, but it shows you the um, the malleability of the form. Yeah, and actually, I think that's important to yeah. remember. Yeah, but in signing instant, that's two major reversals and the crisis decision. It takes an hour and 20 minutes to play out. It doesn't help often feeling uh, or thinking so rigidly no. sometimes I mean, about these things. No, it's a good It's a good thing, like, it's a good thing to go, oh, I should have the incitement by this point and that point, because that's the basic structure and that's good. But sometimes you go, this isn't working, and why isn't it working? And you go, well, maybe I've put the signing incident too early. Like you could have, a, you could be writing a story where you go, I keep having to set things up, 
and halfway through the film, like, is my world too complex? Is this? It's like, how about you delay the inciting incident until you set things up? Yeah. Okay, but how, how do I get away with delaying the inciting incident? Put in a setup subplot. I don't have one. How about you make the inciting incident so big that it can have two major reversals inside it and make it the crisis decision? Okay. So, I mean, there's... There's so many. That's that's why you want to study all these things. So you have you see all the solutions people have come up with, all the tools people have used, and then you might discover something new to fix your story because your story will have unique problems. I realise this isn't going to be a quick summation uh, segment now because yeah. you've just raised two important points that I want to go on. That I just want to highlight. Uh-huh. One, the importance of research. Yes. For your writing. Yes. So the the reason we we know this about John Carter is because this has been researched and studied yeah. by by you. Yeah, I broke it down. Yeah. Seriously. Because you were researching action movies. So, yes. You know, in order to write it, it, these particular style, yeah. types of stories, you need to know what's possible and what's not possible. You, yeah. What problems will come up and how yeah. to solve them. And uh, this this film really helped me understand the nature of the mercy of the villain scene. Because this film has all those pseudo-mercy of the villain scenes. Oh, he has to be helpless. The, the hero, she has to be helpless. Yeah, That's what has to happen. It can't just be, oh, she's in this situation. It's better. No, she has to be helpless in this situation. So um, It's also like, uh, just again, coming back to our own writing. If you were to write a... Um, I'm trying to think of a more complex... Of, uh, not more complex genre. It's just different type of genre. But like, if you were going to write a crime story, you wouldn't just dive in, would you? Without no. knowing, okay, what what kind of things can I and can't I do yeah. in crime? The, there's so many books written on how you're supposed to write a murder mystery to make it fair for the audience. Right. Like, there's loads of them. So... It's just so, one of those so things. I, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah. why would you ever try and write an action movie without yeah. having done research like this right. and saying, okay... Yeah. Um, so you, you which, build up an encyclopedia in your head of exactly. all these examples. Which comes to the other point, um, yeah. which is the importance, which um, is something you alluded to, the importance of becoming an audience member to your own writing. Yeah. So writing something, stepping back, getting out of right ahead and, and seeing how it yeah. feels. And if you feel like, oh, hold on, there's a lot of exposition here. Yeah. Um, you know, can I do something to alleviate right. that? It's about sensing the problem yeah. rather than um, looking yeah. at the nuts and bolts. Yeah, of... you have to be able to identify the problem and then you want to have a suite of options of how to fix it. Exactly. Right? And if you haven't got a suite of options of how to fix it and you can't even identify the problem, then how are you going to make it better? How's exactly. that going to work? Like it, it just uh, th- there's no discipline on the planet where people would do this. I'd wait. no me- no mechan- not not even musicians would think like this. Musicians know how to solve compositional problems. I'd wager they have so many in their head. I'd wager there's probably um, too many to mention stories that have been cast aside or canned by writers because they were written unresearched and yeah. they'd given them to somebody to look at or yeah. pitch them to somebody and, and problems were identified yeah. and the writer didn't know uh, the answers to uh, how to solve yeah. the problem Yeah, and, and as such just went up oh, and also sometimes and, and sometimes they also do this and it's like uh, you know uh, the beginning's too slow and, they, and then they don't stop and think well hold on there's another film that has a slow beginning they don't think well why they go well that was fine for that one it should be fine for this too it's like not necessarily have you worked out why it's okay that the beginning is slow in that film sure like why does why does that slow beginning work but not yours why do you think John Carter works what the slow beginning Just, yeah I think uh, the reason it works is because Barsoom is great yeah yeah the world's really really cool so you don't mind travelling across the world so much. So this wouldn't this isn't a story that could be set. Oh, if you just set this in sort of a less interesting setting, I think it'd be really hard to pull that off. Sure. It'd be really hard to pull that off. You'd you'd have to uh focus more on the internal story, I think, of John Carter, but then you might not have people want to watch the ending because it's you a big risk action. Alienating them, yeah. yeah. And you mis mis uh, manage the genre expectations and so on. So um I mean, it's possible you could go back and come up with a different reason for why John Carter won't fight. You could make—I mean, you could go back and rewrite this film in a way that makes the signing instant snappier and got this convention and it's more conventional in that way and that way. And you could do that, but why? 
it works. People operate in hindsight, provided it's not so bad that the audience won't sit through it. They'll forgive it because they go, wow, it was worth all the setup. And I think the reason you sit through it is because the world's really, really cool. Stories don't need to um, uh, don't need to fit. They're not paint by numbers. They don't need no, to fit preordained don't. structures. No. They work or they don't work. Yeah, and I think I think this works really well. I think the way they solve it is the assigning incident has two major reversals, so it's not boring. It's got the crisis decision. They've got a fascinating world, and they've got a bunch of set up subplots that are small. But that's good because that means you're focused on the world. You know none of these subplots on the major one, and you know what the central plot is going to be. And so the audience can follow everything along so that when everything comes climaxing together uh, an hour and 20 minutes into the film, they can just barrel roll on. And you're satisfied because, yeah, I sat through an hour and 20 minutes that was a little slow and a bit pondering. But now I know why because yeah. of all this great stuff and I can follow it. Look at the big smile on my face. I leave the cinema going, wow, what a great film. <laughs> right? That's And also, where can I buy a Turbo Dog figure? Where can I get my plushie? Well, th- other things that Disney didn't do. Merchandise the film, right? <laughs> anyway, so. Okay. Um, second point, then. Yes. Uh, self versus others. What about it? That's the climax. A crisis, rather, sorry, of action. Yes. Yeah. Um, action stories. This is all going to be in the action book, which should be coming out pretty soon. So Excellent. But that, so I'm not going to give it away anymore. I talked about it. It's, okay. <laughs> In John Carter, the self versus other's choice is... Oh, he can choose to have a easy but meaningless life with his bag of gold at home on Earth. Or he can have a hard but meaningful life fighting for Basum and Dejah Thoris. Um, excellent. Thank you. Um, from and to... Yeah, when breaking down your scenes and acts and trying to understand the nature of your turning point, you can go, you say to yourself, he's gone, or your protagonist, she's gone from this to this. And phrasing it that way helps you really nail down what the turn is about. They go from, like, he goes from a prisoner of Zodonga to a warlord of the Darks. Yeah. That act sequence, uh, that act climax, what's that act turn about? It's about him gaining power over the Tharks. That's what it's about. So when you look at scenes and dialogue and bits like that, and you go, what should I keep? What should I cut? You can go, this is what this scene is about. This is what this act is about. And then you can do that for the whole story. He goes from John Carter to John Carter of Mars. Yeah. Right? That's the whole turning point of the story. That's what that thing is about. So, and the great thing is if you do it that way as well and you want to change something, oh, it's so much easier to change. (laughs) Right? You go, oh, no, no. It's not from he's a prisoner to a warlord. He goes from a slave to a warlord. Now that changes it, right? Yeah. The slave aspect, but that one little word that you've changed now for you, you can infuse all your scenes with it because now you get what that changes. So it's that kind of thinking. It's it's such a useful tool for your own writing. I think that, so. That I've, I, I, and yeah, I would it's really great, agree because right? I just said it. Yeah, you should. I, I'm encouraging listeners to, yeah, exactly. to try it. Damn, put in the work. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last one which was that, uh, that I wanted you to surmise was the mercy scene but I think we've probably already yeah we, just I think put them helpless enough. either turn the tables uh, and have them get out or have them fail it's up to you yeah. they don't have to win but um, you've got to make them helpless but the the mercy scene is key yeah yeah you've got to do something like that right yeah. and if you don't do that then you've you've got to satiate the audience some other way yeah you, you can't just you can't have an exciting story and then not take it to the height of excitement that doesn't why, why then make it exciting pick something else <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me um, um, I was going to ask you what we take away for our own writing but I think we've probably covered that as well study we? study study do you think that's I mean just taking a step back for a second yes um, this is a big John Carter loving um, yes it and is Andrew Stanton loving yes um, if that weren't clear Mr. Stanton we love you but oh yeah that's true <laughs> Um, invite me to Pixar <laughs> I want to come to the, the dream factory <laughs> and just see like all the unicorns that you clearly bleed for your happiness machine it's just was that you I, you can see Basim then that looked like you were milking a unicorn as opposed to bleeding it uh, I was thinking there's an IV drip oh no oh just... okay, okay okay. this is what they have in Pixar HQ yeah 
<laughs> how else do you make people so unconditionally happy with tears and <laughs> you have to bleed unicorns to death? I did love your theory that Pixar was just some huge tear collecting machine. Yes, it's like Monsters Inc., but they need our tears. Yeah. Not our screams, they need our tears. <laughs> they just thrive on it. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, back to. Uh, John Carter I think I was going to say something like but not necessarily um, uh, if there's one if there's one like lesson I guess we could take away from John Carter what would it be would it be research would it be put in the work yeah I think um, the only Andrew Stanton is not like a first time filmmaker right he's he's a multi Oscar winning writer director who has worked for a studio that has an unprecedented level of success in Hollywood. No, no one, no one. Uh, Pixar. Every film is a hit. With the they've had a couple of misses, right? But you wouldn't even. Call, I, I wouldn't even call them misses. The misses are. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I not, I, I was quite excellent. disappointed in the Good Dinosaur. Really? Yeah. I thought it was nice. It was. Yeah. I guess you're right. It's nice, but it's it wasn't. Anyway, but th- I mean, it's, regardless, it's not Toy Story Three. It's not it's up. Not, it's not. Yeah. When you look at it, like the okay, I, they've made what almost twenty films, and it's it's debatable. Maybe three, maybe three aren't perfect. There, right. That's that's the, the wording, the, and also all you, the rest. Like when you do the comparison, you say, okay, the, think of the worst Pixar movie. Yeah, How does it compare to the yeah. best DreamWorks the, movie? Yeah, it's, like, it's just maybe. Maybe, maybe it's better but like Pixar is just you know you've got Cars 1 and 2 you've got Ratatouille you've got the Toy Stories you've got Wally, Finding Nemo Finding Dory Up Monsters Inc Monsters University I mean it, it, it's just unbelievable yeah. how many brilliant films and he's he, th- that group of Pixar the, they are in their own world. They they're firewalled from everyone else, and they just make brilliant stories. Brilliant stories. Andrew Stanton is not just some noob, right? He's not some rookie. He is a uh, expert, and he's a and it, it, like he he did John Carter, and the next film he did after that was Finding Dory, right? He hasn't made a bad film. There's a great. Um, he hasn't made an adequate yeah. film. Every, Finding Dory is excellent, right? It's so well done. As I say, I think it's the best family drama I've ever seen. Okay? Because it's not an action story, it's a family drama. And it's just beautiful. And the reason he can pull off John Carter is because he knows what he's doing. He might not know it in the way I've expressed it. He might not think of it in that way. He might just intuit and 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 be aware of it in a different way. He just has... It's also worth noting that the, the, the phrasing that we use doesn't necessarily it's not universal phrasing oh no for them it is oh, for, I, I, no, for, for pixar, pixar. For yeah because i know is, pixar yes. uses uh, like mckee has taught pixar repeatedly, yeah, yeah. so yeah but but, uh, but i mean like if, if you're if you're at home writing it's more about sensing that this particular thing is wrong and as long as yeah. you have an answer for it it doesn't need to have the same that's name, that's so. exactly you don't need to be able to pass a test on this exactly uh, you don't it, it, this is a very specific way of analyzing things that allows us to have terminology that's general for everyone to understand it and talk yeah. about it it doesn't mean when you're writing you have to literally think like this all the time because how, you wouldn't be able to write anything anyway if you constantly thought like that exactly yeah. but it's a, yeah. it's 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 one of those things where when you want to take a step back and just try and get fresh eyes you look at it this way so i don't know how uh he would articulate the design of it but it's clear that he he knew he knows enough that he know there's that he knows that if i give them this incredible ending and i set everything up beforehand people will be okay with this and he's and he knows that and that's a risk and he took it and he and he did it properly because he knows what he's doing there's um, a great. Uh, so that might. So as I say, like my my thinking is like this is really unconventional. You want to learn something from your writing. Look how much you have to know to be able to pull something like this off. Sure. So I was just going to just going to reference the excellent Adam Buxton podcast, um, and he oh. interviewed Bill Hader. Yeah. Um, uh, American um, uh, actor, comedian, writer, etc. Um, yeah. And he visited uh, Pixar. Mm. when they were making Inside Out towards the beginning spent a week there just in the writer's room just listening and learning Mm. a year later went back um, a year after that went back so he watched Inside Out get made over four years Um, so I I would urge you to track the podcast down it's very interesting I I would urge you to go to Pixar and watch I would urge you just bombard the place and steal the unicorns Um, yes 
but no, what he said about the way that they work, um, and was it uh, Pete Doctor that did Inside Out? Yes. Yes. So the the way Pete Doctor did the um, the the writing um, sessions for that is they would come in in the morning, they would sit down around the table, and Pete Doctor would tell the story of Inside Out, and when he got to a problem, he would stop and say, "Okay, I think we need to talk about this today." Yeah. And that's what they would do. I mean, it just, yeah, it's so simple. Yeah. You know, every day you are going into your story in detail and, and becoming that audience and yeah. finding the problem yeah. from that audience point of view. Yeah. And I would, and I would presume go. Doctor isn't going through it with dialogue either. No, no, He's no. He's just this saying, just this, happens, saying this, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Yeah. So, like, you really force yourself to focus on what's important. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing. You've got all these tools to try and make yourself have an objective, fresh sense on your work so you can get that sense of this is what it would be like for someone who doesn't know the story to experience it. I think it's so important to be that audience for your own work. You because have to. You, yeah, but, but it's often forgotten. When you're writing yeah. comedy, it's easy because you, laugh. you write and you laugh. Yeah. When you're writing action, when do you ever, you know, unless you force yourself, when do you ever sit back and think, am I excited right now? Yeah. By one of them. Is this actually exciting? Yeah. yeah. Is it yeah. exciting? It's where you, you, you need to pitch it. You need to have different ways of looking at it and so on. And bearing in mind that, you know, as I say, like act one, this is act one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. Yeah. You can sit down and do that. It doesn't mean it will work. Yeah. Right, you still actually have to make it work. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that can be any number of reasons. Like, it's so complicated why something can and can't work. And so, you—that's why you want to have as much knowledge as you can, as many examples as you can, so that you can immediately go. That I mean, that's that's what I do. You know, when I come out of when I see a film, whatever, and we're talking about it, and like the reason I can go, this works and this doesn't work, is because I have half a dozen examples in my head that are all the same situation yeah. and I know why, why each one of them is different and then that's it and it's just like well that, that's how you learn it you have to yeah. study these things you have to break them down um, so we'll uh, on the website on the the storytoolkit.wordpress.com we will link uh, Basim's blog about yeah um, that, that's John yeah th- that's less about the structure of this it's one. less about the structure but it's, it's worth it's, the read it's more about the... why it didn't make money yeah, yeah, that's that's. I, I, it, it's interesting enough. Yeah, that I think we should yes. it. Um, so veto to any argument you have against. I'm not it. vetoing against. No, I'm vetoing your potential veto. <laughs> I vetoed that. Lord, you can't triple stab and double stab. Um, <laughs> and I also feel that in many ways this podcast was a little bit slower at the beginning, but we were putting in the work. No. So now we have major. No, we no. haven't mirrored John Carter. No, I think uh, if anything, we've done the opposite, which is we had a really strong. Strong beginning, and uh, you've and now tanked it. You've, tanked, you've it. tanked it with your dumb and dumber quotes. <laughs> and uh, ha, for a bit there, I felt very professional. And uh, but the silly had to come in. Yep. You know, I wouldn't want it any other way. It's all right. Andrew's probably uh, old. Andy's probably not listening <laughs> at this point, anyway. Is he? He's tuned out. Oh, we oh. were so close. <laughs> okay. Okay. Can it now? Bye. Bye.